0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Welcome to Nothing Nothing Happens happens in a Small Town. town. We're back. So we had another little bit of time
1: off. and. I happened to be in patient first and then the ER all day last Sunday. Oh, yay. Lovely. Yeah,
0: (laughs) she was sending me messages. I'm like, oh, good God, you're still there? (laughs) It was a very long day.
1: Very long day. Yeah.
0: So that was super not fun, and you better bet I wasn't saying, well, Melissa, too bad, so sad. (laughs) We're going to do our podcast anyway. (laughs) Not sure how we would have done it, because I wasn't home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you could have called me, oh, wait, I don't have the, I'd break into your house, (laughs) because yeah, we, we do the recording at Melissa's. Yeah, so
1: it, yeah, it just didn't work out, but Merry Christmas, everyone, and hope you are having a fantastic holiday off and enjoying time with family and friends and all that stuff. And eating yummy
0: food. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, my husband made the most wonderful stuffed shells
1: for Christmas. Nice. Nice. He's a good cook. I'll keep him around. (laughs) That sounds very good. We had, um... We have Beef Wellington. Ooh. Yeah. Getting all schnazzy. We, <laughs> we were joking yesterday. It's like, oh, yeah, we're wearing our, our, our fancy cl- comfy clothes for. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, there was nothing fancy. You know <laughs> Went nowhere. Didn't even have Pilates. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they weren't mean enough to slave drive their poor Pilates instructors to have a instru- uh, class. So it was hanging out, hanging with the cats, watching movies and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much what we did. We didn't watch
0: any of my normal Christmas movies like Die Hard or anything yeah. like that, but we did watch some movies.
1: Yeah, we did too. We watched um, Adam's Family Two, the cartoon ah. version, and um, then what else did we do? Uh, oh, Free Guy. Oh, I
0: saw part of that, Yeah, and Sean had already started watching it. I'm like, no, 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 I've missed something. It's like, you didn't really miss anything. I'm like, I totally missed something. Yeah, I need to watch this from the beginning. I watched a lot of it, though, and I'm like mad at myself because I want to watch from beginning to end. Yeah,
1: you should watch it beginning to end for sure. But it was good. Um, I don't know why I couldn't remember what we watched, (laughs) but I think it was just
0: on the I on mean, the spot i'm sitting yesterday. here looking at you and i'm going what did i watch yeah we were random i don't remember we watched some uh football that we had uh still on the it, we had recorded because i can do words <laughs> i always can do words mm-hmm. and then just randomly he had it on a movie channel i'm like oh look michael j fox secret huh? of my success it's horrible 80s movie but is i love horrible. it yeah i love, I love that movie too <laughs> it's like the 80s music all over the place you're like oh good god save us yes and we watched top gun and oh, actually nice. i was looking something up on imdb i'm like this person isn't in top gun um shoot now oh, i can't think of his name uh really tall guy was together with susan sarandon for all those years
1: uh... Not um, sure. Anyhow. But yeah. I didn't
0: realize he's the, the replacement for Goose, if you will. He's oh, Merlin. I was okay. Like, this guy isn't in this movie. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, there he is. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I can't remember a name. And I'll remember it later and I'll be like, you know, that guy.
1: Yeah.
0: And we watched Freaky. Okay. Um, Vince Vaughn. Oh, okay. I is... haven't seen that one You've yet. You've got but... to see it. If any you know, middle-aged man is going to play a teenage, teenage girl... girl. Yeah, Vince Vaughn did it wonderfully.
1: I had that's on my list of ones that I kind of want to see. So, and then I
0: watched a couple Jurassic Parks. Vince yeah. Vaughn is in one of those. I'm like, he's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, random. And then one of the Jason. No, actually, it was not Jason Bourne. It was Bourne Identity. The one that's with the other guy, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner mm-hmm. and uh, Rachel weiss Yeah, yeah, yep. that's a good one. I like that one. I like so, that they take guys that aren't necessarily thought of as like the big muscle men and make them like super yeah crazy cool yeah
1: yeah the more average guys who are yeah kind of kick ass and some exactly. of those
0: yeah because I mean sorry as much as I I love a certain somebody who is in the movie you watched free guy yes <laughs> he's beautiful and has has built up his body a few times for movies it's like.
1: Yeah, this one though that it, it is He's kind of funny because there's like a I don't know super sized him and it's really funny <laughs> in the um, it, when you watch the extras they actually talk about like they have this like bodybuilder who is the the body oh, good and gracious. then they put his face on it and it's hilarious oh, and it's gotta like, be. it's yeah, it's great. So, that's good okay now yeah. I, have, I know I I now know I have to also watch the extras yeah Got it. definitely do the watch the extras they I are can worth tell it you,
0: a few hurricanes in the past I watched more ec- extras like when oh, actually it was after the derecho mm-hmm. the one where you moved out yeah <laughs> I watched we watched all of the extras for the Lord of the Rings trilogy because we had no internet we had no tv <laughs> but we had some electricity because we had a generator yeah So I watched all the extras about how they made the the chainmail because I make chainmail jewelry. Mm -hmm. They made it out of like PVC and plastic. They like took plastic uh, pipe and just sliced it a whole bunch of times. And you're like, Oh, my goodness. I cannot imagine how much money and time and effort goes into those movies. Yeah, just like amazing. It
1: really is when you start thinking about all the work and everything that goes into making movies. I've got family in the business, and I
0: still—you're just like wow.
1: Yeah.
0: All the artistry that's in there—not just the actors, but the people who build the sets and And what goes in costumes and the
1: yeah—it's amazing. It really is.
0: And well, so we went on this massive tangent. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry. Hope you all you know watch some movies and
0: maybe eat good relate. food.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we thought, for in honor of Christmas,
0: we would do a Christmas themed. Yes. Um, good old murder, if you will. Actually, it's a. Serial killer, yes, and we're teaming two things together: a Christmas theme and Air Force. Yeah, woohoo! And... My, I was in the Air Force. I've been here too, <laughs> North Pole, Alaska.
1: Alaska. Sorry, <laughs> I <laughs> Sandra <laughs> Bullock. <laughs> I love the proposal the movie it's the adorable proposal. and then you know betty white obviously oh, good love gracious. her
0: she's amazing we were talking about this before yeah <laughs> we we got new microphones so we were playing around with the microphones for a while and i'm sorry i'm still trying to get used to how i need to hold myself in relation to the microphone i do not wish to eat the microphone and it looks like a dog's nose. <laughs> <laughs> but betty white
1: <laughs> we love, betty, love white. betty white she's turning 100 this year put her in a bubble people yes she we i mean you know treasured treasured little lady who cracks us up on a regular basis regular basis i mean love yeah
0: her. i i i'm so sucked that i'm gonna mention this and not know all the details but apparently there's uh something is out there search for it betty white wanted to have basically have like a birthday celebration with all i think we get to like i don't know record something for her, that i would totally suck
1: awesome i <laughs> definitely
0: would do that because
1: betty white we love you
0: yeah maybe we'll look that up when we take a break yeah <laughs> <laughs> we need dad here so he can look stuff up yes. for us <laughs> <laughs> defenestration it's my favorite new <laughs> word <laughs> what is that to throw someone out a window or door <laughs> I have often wondered what it would be like when you have that desperate urge to throw somebody out a window or door. What it was called? <laughs> and now we know. And that I've I my coworkers they were trying to think of ways to bring it into the conversation. They didn't yet. That's great. Keith, I love it.
1: You got to bring it into the conversation so as tara said we are talking about the Nor- north pole murders and the north pole has a population of 2740 as of 2019 it's an
0: adorable town it's located really close to Eielson air force base and fairbanks in alaska which you guys might have actually heard of fairbanks
1: yeah. so we are i'm going to start talking first about uh the victims in this case. And then right. we'll kind of go into the actual murderer. Right. So the first victim we're going to talk about is Doris Oring. On June 11th, 1980, 11-year-old Doris Oring and her older brother were riding bicycles together on the roads in the North Pole. Doris cycled ahead of her brother, and when her brother caught up with her, he saw his sister talking to a strange man in a blue car. The man had propped open the hood of the car and appeared to be having engine problems. When Doris's brother uh, pulled alongside Doris, the man quickly shut the hood, jumped in the car, and sped away. The brother was later able to describe the man to a police sketch artist, and he told the police that he thought the man's blue shirt looked like an Air Force uniform. And
0: I mean, given this was in 1980, when I first I I first heard about this, actually watching uh, Ice Cold Killers or something like that on on uh, Discovery. And I'm like, how did he not know he was military? You're talking 1980. Think of hairstyles. Oh, yeah. Um, Air Force hair is what I thought, not to mention the uniform would be strikingly different. Even then, than what you would see. But that's just me, because you'd have insignia. Mm -hmm. If he was wearing a blue shirt, he was wearing his blues, and his blues would have insignia on the sleeve. But again, you're just like. It's a kid. It's a kid. So,
1: yeah. But anyhow. um, So, two days after, on June 13th, 1980, Doris disappeared, and her bicycle was found hidden in the brushes along Badger Road near her home in the North Pole. A witness reported seeing a small blue car tear around the corner at an intersection near Badger Road. The driver seemed pre- preoccupied and was wrestling with something or someone in the seat next to him. Police believed the attacker hid in the bushes on the side of the road and waited for Doris to ride her bike past the hiding spot. Once she got close, he jumped out of the bush, grabbed her off her bike, and tossed the bike into the nearby ditch. Because Doris's fu- brother brought Thought the man he'd seen talking to his sister might be wearing an Air Force uniform, and because other witnesses described the driver of the speeding car as having a military-style haircut. There we go. Mm-hmm, state troopers asked security at Ileson Air Force Base for a list of blue cars registered to drive on the base. The Air Force handed the trooper a list of 550 names of people who owned registered vehicles, possibly matching the rough description of the car the troopers had provided them. Investigators were desperate to find Doris, but with no fingerprints or other forensic evidence, they didn't know where to begin. Doris's birth announcement states that she has three older sisters, Katie, Connie, and Jill, and one older brother, Tommy. Uh, Her father is... A business manager for the University of Alaska Geophysical Institute, they moved to Chicago from Chicago to Fairbanks. Um, Doris was riding her bike home from swimming lesson when she was abducted. She played the trumpet and loved to sing. Glinda Soderman is the next victim. Uh, she, she was 19 years old when she vanished from her home in North Pole on August 29th, 1979. She was a newlywed and the daughter of an Alaska state trooper. Glinda and her husband had a small baby, and according to her husband, when he arrived home on August 29th, the baby was in the crib. So that's kind of creepy. I mean, that's he very creepy. comes home, and, he his comes wife home is, and his wife is gone. Yeah. By all accounts, Glinda was happy and had no reason to run away from her home, but investigators found no evidence to suggest foul play. The following October, Glinda, Glinda's decomposed body was found in a gravel pit near Moose Creek on the Richardson Highway not far from Isleson Air Force Base and 22 miles south of Fairbanks. Glinda had been shot in the face, and troopers found a 38 caliber pistol cartridge near her body the medical examiner discovered no evidence suggesting Glinda had been sexually assaulted suspicion fell on Glinda's new husband who failed a lie detector test even Glinda's father suspected his son-in-law of the crime but troopers found no evidence to arrest the, the husband
0: I can't imagine how terrible this would be because you know it's always the husband it's yeah. always the husband and being the son-in-law of a state trooper
1: yeah Really? Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, Since troopers had not cleared Glinda Sutterman's husband for Glinda's murder, they decided to question him about uh, the abduction of Doris Ohring. They gave him another polygraph test, and this time the polygrapher found the test results inconclusive. The test results frustrated troopers. They had no physical evidence pointing to Sutterman, but he could also not pass a lie detector test when questioned about the murder of his wife or the abduction of Doris Oring. Troopers decided to bring in a polygraph expert to question Sutterman. After 10 minutes, the expert left the examining room and told troopers that Sutterman had an irregular heartbeat. Such a heartbeat could not ever produce a passing polygraph test result. The test results from an individual with a heartbeat like Soderman's would always be classified as inconclusive or failing. Since the troopers had no other reason to, than the lie detector test results to suspect him, they dismissed him as a suspect in the disappearance of Doris. So Imagine that. And, you know, I was... um, (laughs) going to go off on a little thing about the lie, lie detector, detector tests. Test. So, we know that they're inadmissible in court. We know that um they actually if you go back and look at I guess the creator of the lie detector test, it was never meant to do this. And Of course not. It was it was not meant to be the all conclusive. Be all, yeah. Because we are
0: different people. Yes. And I mean really it's a really good tool for Somebody who has a guilty conscience, who believes that, that this is a thing that's right. going to get them found. But, yeah.
1: But they actually hooked it up to a plant at one point <laughs> and determined that, you know, plants had reactions, too. So <laughs> Okay. Um.
0: This I had not heard, but then I also don't do any research into lie detector tests for other reasons.
1: But in any case, they're not the best... Um, really the best way to determine if somebody is telling the truth or not right um so her glinda's father his name was ellis armstrong um he was actually a, a decorated uh police officer i mean um and then her husband was in the military his name was jerry Sutterman. he came um sorry i have yeah, to back so, <laughs> so basically Mr. <laughs> Soderman
0: was in the military. Right. And he had come home from work and that's just so bizarre. Yeah. And I wonder how much they believed him too. I came home from work and the baby was in the crib and she's gone. Yeah. That's It's, it's an odd thing to happen. Yeah. I mean even in nineteen eighty. Right. Well, um, I was a lochkey kid in the '80s. We
1: tended <laughs> not to leave our
0: babies,
1: unattended. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. I mean, who leaves their baby completely alone? That that is, you know, something had to have happened to her. Right. I mean, but and again, though, everybody goes, "Ooh, it could be the husband." So,
0: well. There are people who say it's always the husband. Well, they always look at the spouse first. Yeah. It's you look at the people that are closest to the victim. True. And
1: obviously the spouse is going to be right up in there. Yep. In this case, it was not the spouse. Just, you know, prefacing that. Um, (laughs) So she, I couldn't find her grave. It says that she was cremated. That's about all I was able to found on that. Find on that. Um, so then we have Wendy Wilson. Uh, so nine months after Doris Oaring mysteriously went missing, 16-year-old Wendy Wilson disappeared. Wendy had been on her way to visit her boyfriend. Uh, Mrs. Alp, uh, her boyfriend's mother, had offered Wendy a ride, but Wendy had declined. Wendy was last seen hitchhiking, and a witness saw her climb into a white pickup truck in Moose Creek near Fairbanks. Three days after she disappeared, Wendy Wilson's body was found near Johnson Road, 32 miles south of Fairbanks, near the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Uh, Wendy's killer had strangled her and then destroyed her face with a shotgun blast. And this is the one we could find
0: the least about. Yeah. But yeah, that Trans-Alaska Pipeline, you can see it on approach Mm -hmm. to Fairbanks. Uh, I mean, to Eielson. Uh, full disclosure, used to be in the Air Force, and I used to fly into Eielson every once in a while. <laughs> so I actually know this location a little bit. Um, Fairbanks is a pretty cool place it's small but it's the largest town in the area and north pole is freaking adorable it's also if you're not really into christmas maybe a little over the top (laughs) they did try to make a big thing to make it christmas and we'll talk about that later but i believe you can still send uh your letters up to north pole alaska to the um jeez I can do words your dad was a postmaster I can yes. do this you can write a letter to the postmaster and have a card in it and have it postmarked from North okay. Pole if you include the price of postage
1: hmm. that's that's kind of or cool.
0: pre-stamped I think that's probably so, easiest
1: those of you with young kids for next year you can maybe obviously. yeah <laughs> you can plan ahead <laughs> yes yes <laughs> So then we have, uh, we found a fun fact. Um, Instead of just
0: our interesting facts, our facts. Yeah. We have a real fun
1: fact. This one is fun. Um, Bob Ross, uh, you know, if you remember Bob Ross and the happy little trees. Um, <laughs> and the happy little clouds. <laughs> um, so he stated numerous times during his show that he lived in North Pole for over a decade and that the scenery surrounding the town was of great inspiration for his work shocking, very cool. Yeah, we found a whole
0: bunch of little tidbits about North Pole itself. So the town in, 19, in 1891, Congress enacted legislation for town sites to be laid out in Alaska under regulations specified by the Secretary of the Interior. The name le- the same legislation made it possible for a person to obtain 160 acres outside town sites but only for trading and manufacturing purposes. That just is weird to me. Cause you know how big an acre is? An acre is like a football field without each end zone. Wow. Do that times 160.
1: That's big. big. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Alaska is quite large. Yeah. <laughs> so more than 50 years later, Bon and Bernice Davis arrived at, um, Fairbanks on April 7th, 1944, they rented a car and drove down to the Richardson highway at 15 mile An abandoned part of the original Richardson trail led off to the, into the timber along the West bank of the 14 mile slough. They left the car on the maid road and walked along the trail. They walked for several hundred yards, stopping and looking. Finally, they stopped, looked at one another, and both spoke the same words at the same time. This, this is it. it. I just sit here going, okay, a little <laughs> corny, but okay. The land lying west of the slough was covered with scrub trees and brush. Tall spruce grew along the banks of the slough and on the land lying between it and the pile driver slough to the east. I'm like, these are a lot of sloughs. Mm-hmm. They had been told that gray grayling and beaver were plentiful in both streams and there was a variety of waterfowl in the summer moose deer wolves fox snowshoe rabbits squirrels and spruce hen lived in the homestead to be little did they dream of their undistinguished 160 acres of scrub trees and brush would ever be more than just a homestead much less that it would be called a city shortly after they obtained a patent. They sold John Owen and George Manley each, a one-acre tract, excuse me, fronting on the Richardson Highway for $500 an acre. Among problems uh, involved in starting a subdivision was selection of a suitable name. And the naming was, lo and behold, figured out when... uh, the National Board of Geographic Names gave the name of Davis to the railroad switch built on the homestead when the railroad connecting Lad Field and Eielson Air Force Base was constructed in 1948. Ernest Finnell and James Ford each had a homestead adjoining the west side of the Davis. Davises, well, however you want to say that. Though they had filed uh, about one year and a half before Bond Davis had left, the three received their patents almost at the same time. Finnell and Davis had discussed subdividing and both of them began doing so in 1950. Ford decided to keep his homestead intact. With electrical power assured their land became more in demand, Orland Carey bought the North 40 off of the Bond Davis homestead in November of 1951 and gave it the name of Sequoia subdivision. In February 1952, Dahl & Gask Development Company bought the Davis subdivision and balance of the homestead except for a few parcels. Dahl & Gask, who had bought the Davis homestead and subdivided it, thought of growing settlement was named North Pole, it might attract businesses. They reasoned that some toy manufacturer might be induced to locate a factory there so they could have their products be advertised as being made in the North Pole. Also, someone might start a Santa land, which would become a northern version of Disneyland. Well, I can tell you this didn't quite come into fruition, (laughs) but they did approach Bon Davis to petition the United States District Court to change the name from Davis, which had been the official name since 1949, to North Pole. Bond Davis thought their idea was far-fetched, but acceded to their request and said, sure. U.S. District Judge Harry Pratt held a hearing and issued a decree making North Pole the official name. When it was proposed that the two subdivisions would be incorporated into a city known as North Pole, residents of Highway Park rallied their forces and soundly defeated the measure as an election. They wanted no part of North Pole, incorporated or otherwise. Those living in North Pole clung to the idea of incorporation. Another election was held after proposed boundaries were reduced, that it only the original Davis homestead and part of one of the other ones belonging to James Ford were incl- included in it. This uh, was carried out at the election. North Pole became a first class city on January 15th, 1953. So, what's the difference between a first class and a second class city?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know
0: either. I don't know where they get these naming conventions. Again, like I said, a city can be anything, so can a town. Here in the United States, we just don't have good lines drawn for Mm -hmm. what's the difference because North Pole is decidedly quite small. But it's a city. Yeah. yeah. All right. They had five members of their first city council. Everett Dahl, James Ford, Ray Johnson, Robert MacEtty not to be confused with Macuffie, and Con Miller. The council opponent James Ford as the mayor pro tem. The main in North Pole endeavor failed to blossom. But North Pole has continued to grow. In bits and pieces. There continues to be interest in developing North Pole as a theme city where the spirit of Christmas lives year-round. Like I said, their postmaster is in on sending cards and stuff like that from the North Pole. Uh, Many streets in the city and surrounding communities bear holiday names. Santa Claus Lane, Snowman Lane, Kris Kringle, Mistletoe, Holiday Road, St. Nicholas Drive, North Star Drive, Blitzen, and Donner not to be confused with Dalmer.
1: I, <laughs> I just I, I just I don't I think I'd go nuts. I mean, I sorry, I if you love Christmas, I I'm I'm just not one of those people. And we didn't
0: even decorate this year.
1: I'm I'm not a grinch, I promise. I still have my Halloween decorations up, okay? Well, I am just not You're a holiday Halloween gal. I though. am a Halloween gal. So.
0: And we have cats, so you know all those memes you've seen on Facebook about cats and Christmas trees? They are very true. Yeah. And since my husband has uh injured himself, it's like doing some of the decorating is just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> and i work it's like no <laughs> we're good yeah. we we hang out we have our good food and usually we watch what we joke you know we lovingly call christmas movies movies that happen during christmas time yeah there's quite a few of them yeah diehard included yeah i mean it is a cute town it was cute to go visit once actually, I went there a couple times and we got some stuff themed from there for my friends who are freaky deek into Christmas. Not putting that down, uh, you yeah. do. You, I, I mean, you and your Halloween is I, way beyond what I'll ever do for Halloween.
1: Yeah, I love Halloween, that's it's cool, my thing. And hey, yeah, I'm the crazy up. neighbor who will probably always have my Halloween decorations up at Christmas. Deal with it, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean they have a winter festival um i don't remember ever going to it, but again, when I was up there for i was on short t d wise when I went to Allison, I do remember going to the the Christmas stores and stuff like that and it being pretty cool i mean if you like that and live reindeer can uh, will be there they'll you could have pictures with Santa Claus at the Santa Claus house that's all year long um Besides that, I just have to say, it's it's so funny. We have some more discussion about like North Pole. If you, if you go somewhere like that, that's out in the outer reaches of Alaska, don't stop your car on a two lane road to say hi to the animals you see, especially <laughs> if it's a baby animal, because a, a big moose will walk through your car. Think Jurassic Park yeah mama moose doesn't care that your car will move or that she can go around it mama Moose will go through the car to get to baby moose (laughs) yeah good to know i i random have not been
1: there but yeah
0: (laughs) i was never there that it didn't snow
1: Hmm. nice fun yeah
0: there's some really really long nights i bet really 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 short days (laughs) three hours and 24 minutes Yeah, I not that I looked that up or knew that or anything. (laughs) Yeah, I'll hold on to the random facts. I'm good like that.
1: So now we will go back to the murders. And the next victim is Marlene Peters. On January 31st, a little over seven months after someone snatched Doris Oring, 21-year-old Marlene Peters disappeared. Marlene was last seen trying to hitch a ride from Fairbanks to Anchorage to visit her father, who was sick with cancer. Police considered Marlene's disappearance suspicious, but they had no way to know if someone had abducted Marlene near Fairbanks or if she had disappeared somewhere else between Fairbanks and Anchorage. Troopers did not immediately link her case to Doris Orings or Glinda Soderman's. That's a pretty decent stretch of road between Fairbanks and Anchorage. Nine weeks after the discovery of Wendy Wilson's body, Marlene Peters' remains were found. Marlene also had been dumped near Johnson Road, and she was found only two miles from where Wendy had been dumped. Marlene also had been strangled and then shot in the face with a shotgun. Marlene was a I'm not going to pronounce this right but <laughs> Koyukan Athabaskan uh woman of the tribe of the caribou band Tol- Toltsina, Toltsina or Big Water. sorry if I'm mispronouncing all this this is a lot of words um <laughs> yeah Koyukan Athabaskan I'm guessing Athabaskan yeah um She was a member of the Tanana tribe. Uh, Her mother was Reverend Helen Peters, siblings Faith Peters and Guy Peters. Marlene Jean was born to Hardy and Helen on March 4th, 1960, the second to the last of Helen's natural born children. Everyone knew she was special. In tune with her heritage, she kept her shiny black long hair always down past her knees. She had a paper-thin physique, and smooth, clear skin. She was like a China doll, her sister said. She loved to sew and use only natural fibers. Everything she wore was handmade of cotton or wool, and she had a penchant for using organic products before it became the fashion. Um, Her cooking was similar, only using whole grains and unprocessed products. Marlene was a good cook and is remembered for her spicy spaghetti. She was an artist and a writer, given to expressing herself through these media. She sounds like just such an awesome person.
0: Yeah. And And, I mean, I I looked it up because I'm a dork. But yeah, 360 miles between Fairbanks and Anchorage. That's a long stretch of road. It's a long stretch of road. So it's understandable that they didn't really know what had happened
1: until they found her body. Yeah. Marlene was particularly close to her sister Faith and her brother Guy. I think about me and my sister Marlene because we were so close. We are connected to ancestral knowledge, said Faith. She was a gifted painter. When she got into it, nothing could keep her out of it. She would be in a trance. She would not even look at the paint colors, Faith remembers. Me and her would lay in the grass and look at the sky. We had protections around us. A certain man would come and bother us, but we learned how to fight back. We always slept with sharp pencils. So that kind of makes me think somebody was... Yeah. Creeper. uh, Awful. Really sad. Um, A friend of many, Marlene was a gentle soul and a good listener. She had deep insight and had an ingrained sense of knowledge. Ethereal and very creative, she was in tune with herself, others, and the doll and gosk who had brought the davis homes no
0: wrong wrong
1: page earth and sky sorry yeah i was gonna say where are
0: you honey um yeah so this is why we numbered the pages that doesn't mean we actually pay attention to our numbering (laughs) it's kind of hard as you're reading through but well i mean we spend so much time putting this together and then i feel like such a dork when i mess up
1: but it's part of life it happens we're people (laughs) yeah Yeah,
0: we have so much information on marlene and uh, one thing that missy and i were talking about before we started this is we really want to pay as much attention and as much homage to the victims because we all i mean you can go search Uh, I mean, Wikipedia has a list of serial killers. Yes. And, you know, what they've done, how they killed this, that, and the other. And we know the serial killers names. Right. But do you know the victim names? And, you know, I I also shared a joke with, with Missy earlier today. It's like, (laughs) if I, if I get killed, don't tell them, don't tell lies about me and say how wonderful I am, blah, blah, blah. Tell 2020 that I just had two friends and was a pain in the rear or something like that. But (laughs) I mean, this does... She sounds like such an amazing person. And it's so terrible to have lost her
1: life. She is the one that I found the most information on, so bear with me as I go through it. But I do think it's important to talk about the victims. So, she understood life's mysteries beyond her years. She was a seer, a soul traveler, and spirit traveler. Marlene would have out-of-body experiences. She could fly. She would not eat for days. She would not eat anything with preservatives. She didn't want any poison in her said faith and now she's you know she is a native american woman so there are def- definitely some um different things there the culture and, yeah yeah um during her junior year of high school in 1977 to 1978 marlene attended an art school in albuquerque new mexico she thrived in the artistic environment where she connected readily with people who shared her similar interests and thoughts In the evening, students attended large bonfires where alcohol was present, not long after she was invited to explore other mediums by attending drum circles. Medicine people invited her to first observe and then to participate in peyote ceremonies where she was introduced to operating in the spirit realm. Spirit walkers showed her what they could do while traveling in the spirit realm, and she was invited to go along with them. On one such journey... the spirit walkers ran into a bad spirit that traumatized the group in some way. Something spooked her spirit, said her sister Faith. That kind of makes me wonder if maybe there was... She had a an... premonition and yeah. or... Yeah. I mean, that just kind of makes you think. Yeah. Uh, Marlene would tell people that when you're with God, you are looking down on the earth. Although spooked, when Marlene returned to Tanana... In the summer of 1978, she was more mature and had gained a confidence and self strength that she had previously had not possessed, according to her brother, Guy. She was feeling good about herself until she ran into a punk who wanted to take that from her. That summer, she was raped by a young man from the community. That's really sad. Um, Guy said that she was never quite the same after this. She went into a terrible depression and would not talk to anyone. She slept all day and painted her room black. It took some time, but Marlene slowly began to recover and resume previous activities, re-engaging with her family and friends, feeling more hopeful. Marlene painted her room blue with many happy symbols, flowers, fountains, and birds. In early 1980, Marlene discovered that she was pregnant. In many ways, the pregnancy was... A very healing thing for Marlene and she was once again feeling good about herself. Accounts vary as to what happened the night Marlene disappeared. It was in the middle of January 1981 when some of the Peters children were in Fairbanks getting ready for spring semester at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Marlene was thinking about enrolling and was in town visiting and babysitting for a family friend. The family believes that Marlene had gone from the South Cushman area to downtown to find the friend while well, yet downtown she passed through the co-op plaza where she ran into her brother he was having a late night cup of coffee they chatted for a few minutes and he told her be careful he never saw her alive again the fairbanks daily news Miner reported that marlene had been trying to hitchhank to anchorage from downtown fairbanks to see her ill father when she disappeared which was a possibility on January 31st, 1981, Marlene was reported missing by her sister Kathleen. The next three and one half months were like a living hell for her family and friends re- relentlessly searching for her every weekend. They posted pictures of Marlene up and down the parks and Richardson highways and restaurants, truck stops, etc., They would tromp through snow with a stick looking for her. I told my sister Kathleen by May 15th we will find her, said Faith. Faith thinks that her mother nearly went crazy from January through May. Helen could not understand why someone would take her daughter. She would not have hurt anyone is not known exactly when marlene died but alaska state troopers believe that her body was in the woods for at least three months her body was found may 14th 1981 in a wooded area at mile 32 on richardson highway north of south pole south of north pole south of north pole (laughs) (laughs) you can do words yeah that that word thing um So she was found by two men who had been hunting. She had been strangled and then shot in the face so that her features were obliterated. It could not be confirmed whether she had been sexually assaulted. In the meantime, the family was reeling from the tension and rage of emotions they experienced during the two years while the investigation took place. When she died, there was more hatred in my being than I could control. I could not stand anyone in military uniform. Uniform, said Faith. We plotted how we were going to kill the murderer when he got off the pl- airplane. Marlene's ashes were interred on May 18th, eight, 1981, at the family c- cemetery in Tanana alongside her ancestors. The family held potlatches for both Marlene and Hardy immediately following their respective funeral services because her dad died in, around the same time. Although there are similarities, funeral potlatches and memorial potlatches are different types of potlatches. Memorial potlatches are conducted several years after a person's death, whenever the family feels ready. Helen hosted a large potlatch in memory of Hardy and Marlene in 1989, seven years after Hardy's death and eight years after Marlene's death. Helen prepared for at least three years before hosting a memorial potlatch for hardy and marlene so funeral potlatch this marked the separation of the deceased from society and is the last public expression of grief wow all right and back to our facts
0: Interesting or otherwise. (laughs) So Ileson Air Force Base, we've talked about it a couple times now. It's actually a pretty darn big base, but not the biggest in the United States. But it's 63,195 acres. It's located southeast of Fairbanks, Alaska, about 26 miles away. The runway is oriented north to south and is 14,705 feet long. It was extended to its present length in the 1950s to accommodate B-36 aircraft and is the second longest runway in North America. It was also an alternate landing site for the space shuttle due to its length and breadth. And believe me, it's a really, really long runway. <laughs> you don't use a lot of it to land most planes. <laughs> In February of 1950, the world's first nuclear weapons accident, a B-36 bomber en route from Eielson Air Force Base to Carswell Air Force Base in Texas, encountered bad weather and icing, forcing the crew to jettison a nuclear weapon into the Pacific Ocean. All 16 crew members and one passenger parachuted to safety. I can happily say I never traveled with a nuclear weapon and I never want to. (laughs) (laughs) Some more little factoids. There's actually four North Poles. When you hear someone talking about the North Pole, most likely you're probably thinking of that there's only one. Yeah, that makes sense. After all, there's only one Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, one Turin, Italy, and one Montreal, Quebec. But you know what? There's also one Cairo in Egypt and a Cairo, Illinois. So what the heck, Mm. might as well have multiple North North Poles. Poles, (laughs) There's the terrestrial North Pole, the North Dip Pole, geomagnetic North Pole, and of course North Pole and Fairbanks, near Fairbanks, Alaska. They're all scattered across the top of the planet. Fairbanks, Alaska is the most populated, uh, the one near Fairbanks is the most populated of the North Poles. It has the biggest community and calls it To it, the most travelers from around the world. And let's see. I mean, you're talking about Alaska. So, of course, what else do we want to talk about when it comes to Alaska? The Aurora Borealis. The conditions of the North Pole tells us a great deal about the rest of the planet as well. Another great importance and a huge tourist attraction is the incredible phenomena known as the Aurora Borealis. And it's uh, strongest directly over the geomagnetic North Pole. According to auroraservice.eu, part- particles with an electric charge released from the sun enter the atmosphere of Earth and mingle with gases such as nitrogen and oxygen. It is this phenomena which can be seen from the, in the form of the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights. I know my first uh, flight into uh, Eielson, I saw the pipeline and I saw the Aurora Borealis. I'm like, OK, done it.
1: We're good. <laughs> I'm good. Time to go home. (laughs) And then I went and
0: visited North Pole and I visited visited Fairbanks. I'm like, okay, I've seen everything. (laughs) No, it's actually a gorgeous area up there. If you're into nature and stuff, go to Denali. Um, The park is amazing. And of course, the mountain, Mm -hmm. which is also named Denali.
1: I'd like to go someday. That's beautiful. That is one of my plans is to make it to Alaska someday. (laughs) <laughs> or as you say, Alaska. Alaska.
0: <laughs> Maybe go to Sitka just because. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the sights and sounds from that movie? Um so Fairbanks, uh, the founding of Fairbanks can be traced to August 26, 1901 when E.T. Barnett created a temporary trading post on the banks of the Chino River. Barnett was headed elsewhere when the steamship he was traveling on ran aground in shallow water. Um, anybody who's watched like the Gold Rush Show and what have you, um, when you're dealing with that severe freezing and thawing, the rivers don't really stay put so um and you can run aground because what used to be i mean we used to have this problem in the mississippi and stuff way before we started uh more ship traffic Mm -hmm. and what have you uh the mud would move so after a major gold discovery was made near barnett's temporary location he converted it into a permanent one he's like gold all right (laughs) i'll stay here The gold caused a stampede of miners to the area, and buildings sprang up around Barnett's trading post. In November 1903, the area's residents voted to incorporate the city of Fairbanks. Barnett became the city's first mayor. I guess if you find it, you get to be the mayor. I mean, why not? North Pole, the first mayor, was hmm, one of the landholders. Yes. There you go. So the new city of Fairbanks flourished and as thousands of people came in search of gold. Gold production increased from about 40,000 in 1903 to 6 million in 1905. By 1911, Fairbanks was Alaska's Alaska territory's largest city with a population of 3,500. The Fairbanks Commercial Club created the slogan Fairbanks, Alaska's Golden Heart, which remains the city's motto today. I vaguely remember that in the town square. <laughs> um, let's see, in 20, 2017, I can do words. Oh my goodness, can't <laughs> even read my own notes. Gold is still commercially mined in two locations near Fairbanks, located twenty six miles north of the city. At Fort Knox Gold Mine was has produced several million ounces of gold since it opened in nineteen ninety six. The Pogo Gold Mine, located eighty five miles southeast of Fairbanks, began operation in two thousand seven. Yeah, wonder if the Gold Rush guys go rolling around there. (laughs) They might. (laughs) My husband loves that show. (laughs) I I tolerate it. Yeah. (laughs) Due to Fairbanks' location halfway between New York City and Tokyo, the city became a popular stop on the first round-the-world flights such as Wiley Post's 1933 solo circumnavigation and Howard Hughes' 1938 effort. When the vast Prudhoe Bay oil field was discovered in Alaska's North Slope in 1968, a massive boom was sparked again, once again, in Fairbanks. As the closest city, Fairbanks became the supply point for the oil field and for construction of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline System. Hence, I could see it on my approach to (laughs) Eielson. One of the coldest cities in the United States, average low winter temperatures in Fairbanks range from between negative 15 to negative 25 Fahrenheit. Extreme weather can be much colder. The coldest temperature ever recorded in Fairbanks was 66 degrees below zero in January 14th, 1934. No, thank you. I will pass. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always went there in the winter. Awesome. But And I had been told the myth, myth that it can actually be too cold to snow. But as long as there's some moisture in the air, it can snow. The thing is, once you get below like 20 degrees Celsius below. It's just not going to be that much moisture. Now, what you can see is oftentimes crystals can form on top of the snow that's already fallen and it becomes quite pretty. I mean, it sparkles really nicely when you throw light on it Hmm. because, you know, the sun isn't going to come up (laughs) except for for about three hours. Hmm. Um, Parking lots in many Alaskan towns such as Fairbanks offer electric outlets for plugging in your vehicle vehicle's engine block so you have a block heater so your block doesn't crack in the middle of winter which is awesome (laughs) do note that another side effect of being that cold is your tires will have a frozen flat spot (laughs) that will take a few minutes to round out so thud 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 as you're going down the road (laughs) yes this is a very real thing i know because i experienced it like what the heck oh duh cold 15 that could be why cold Cold. So, like I said, <laughs> expect short days in the winter. I was right. Three hours and 42 minutes on the western winter solstice. In the summer, the t- sun technically sets, but it, n- it just skirts along the horizon. So it's actually never really dark right uh-huh. around the summer solstice. Whereas around the winter solstice, yeah, at least it's not Barrow. Barrow, Alaska is like no sun. Uh-huh. I've had somebody who was up there. It's really, really north. And Mm. yeah, that's no fun People get a little bit wonky I bet Um, And they say that the Aurora Borealis can be seen in Fairbanks for approximately 200 days a year Uh, Mm. Obviously not during the summer months though Because it has to be dark to see it Mm. And that's when most of the tourists come by Um, They generally occur between mid-September to April, the best viewing usually between December and March, when Fairbanks typically experiences its coldest nights and clearest skies. Let me tell you, being in a plane, too, when you're up in the Arctic Circle, when the aurora Borealis is going on,
1: it's really, really cool. That sounds really cool I mean I definitely want to see that someday but (laughs) it's like eh,
0: okay can I do a night landing into Fairbanks Alaska so I can see if it's a pretty day I can see the roar (laughs) by
1: please thank you that would be cool
0: I'm a dork but you know I was in my 20s I did no 30s Oh, 20s. I was definitely in my later 20s. And, but I did appreciate it because it was so pretty. I was yeah. like, I've got to remember this. That's. I'm glad I wasn't just some teenage punk who was like, eh.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, definitely on my list of things I would love to see someday, maybe, if, yeah, if I things. can make it out there.
0: <laughs> we both are from Illinois, but it is really freaking cold. Wear the parka, yeah. JP8 as in jet fuel can freeze mm-hmm. it, it can get too cold to take off
1: yeah i'll dress warmly yeah definitely yeah mm-hmm. we
0: had a couple times that we got that crews got stuck up there because the pre-flight you can only do so much of it in the hangar before you have to bring the plane out and it just the jet fuel would start getting sluggish and you're like really wow. <laughs> all right and we're not leaving today guys <laughs> that would suck but what Especially do you do? if you want to get home. You're like, yeah. really? I'm going to go hang out in the hotel room a little longer. <laughs> Woo. In the dark. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not that bad. I actually really liked it up there. It's yeah. Just, it, it is a bummer when you want to get home and the sure. plane's like, yeah, no, we
1: can't take take off. It's too cold. That would be really frustrating. I well, can it's, imagine.
0: It's never too cold, not to snow, but it is definitely too cold to take off.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so our next victim is Lori King. Uh, two days after police recovered Marlene Peters' body, they were notified of the d- disappearance of 19-year-old Lori King. Lori had last been seen walking in Fairbanks. The Fairbanks police in the Alaska Strait State troopers now knew they had a serial killer operating in and near the North Pole outside of Fairbanks. Soon the news media labeled the string of murders, the Fairbanks serial murders.
0: I still want to call them the North Pole murders.
1: I, I do too. <laughs> I mean, most of it
0: centers around North Pole. Yes. North Pole is closer than Fairbanks to Ileson Air Force Base.
1: That, that's what we're calling it. North Pole mur- murders. Um, police, as well as civilian and military volunteers, searched for Doris Oring and Lori King's bodies near the Johnson Air- Road area where the remains of Wendy Wilson and Marlene Peters had been discovered, but they found no sign of either victim. On September 2nd, 1981, four airmen on a hunting trip came across the remains of Laurie King in a wooded area near a missile site off of Johnson Road. Earlier, searches had somehow missed this area. The killer had done nothing to hide Lori's body. Like Wendy and Marlene, Lori had been strangled and then shot in the face with a shotgun. Oof. Because Lori's body was found on federal res- on a federal reservation, the FBI joined the case, and a task force was formed consisting of FBI agents, Alaska State Troopers, the Eielson Air Force Base, Office of Special Investigations, OSI. Think of them as your, the just like um,
0: NCIS and everything. Each military branch has their own investigative services.
1: Army is CID, mm-hmm. and the Army's CID Criminal <laughs> Investigation Division from nearby Fort Wayne. Right, the Fairbanks Fairbanks Police Department and the North Pole City Police Department investigators now knew they were hunting a dangerous predator who struck frequently somehow convincing the girls and young women to climb into his car where he soon murdered them and then shot them in the face some but not all of the women showed signs of being raped before they were murdered Oof. yeah um Lori was buried in Birch Hill Cemetery in Fairbanks, Alaska. I couldn't find a lot on her either. Um, Her parents were Victor, Joseph King, and Emily King. Um, And now we're going to talk about the the serial killer. The serial killer. Yes. His His name
0: is Thomas Bundy. Mm -hmm. he was born you want me to take this part okay it's one of those i don't know whatever i started yeah i take over (laughs) (laughs) mine um not really mine he just happens to be air force and it's like he i was the one that picked this one i was like Mm -hmm. let's let's go after something that's Christmassy. North Pole, I'm like, oh, I remember that one serial killer that was in the Air Force who was Mm -hmm. stationed up at Ileson. So Thomas Bundy was born on September 28th of 1948 in Nashville, Tennessee. He was the younger of two children in the family. His elder brother, Ralph, was 15 years older than him. Bundy spent his childhood and youth in a socially unfavorable situation. His father was a World War II vet, suffered from some mental disorders and was aggressive towards his wife and younger son. After his father died in 1963, Thomas refused to attend his funeral and ran away from home for several days. And this is where this, we were talking about this before as well. I just really, we, we do better than we used to and as a whole, but mental health issues. in mm-hmm. um, after World War II, they called it shell shock and it was just, Oh, you know, some, most people get over it. Like, uh war is is very um yeah. yeah. It can scar you. As can other things. I wouldn't say I would definitely say that his dad probably had some form of PTSD. Uh-huh. And I would say Thomas probably had PTSD from the pain that he suffered at his father's hands. Yeah. Because PTSD is not just for soldiers. Right. Um he was unpopular amongst the other children at school, but he was a good student. A he was um not a sociable child. He had a lot of friends and acquaintance, but he didn't really, he wasn't popular. Mm -hmm. And it helped him, his ability to, though socialize did help him develop a positive outlook on life. After graduating high school in 1966, he married his high school sweetheart and in 1967 joined the Air Force. Um, He eventually achieved the rank of tech sergeant. Um, In the late 60s and 70s he was serving in southwest asia i don't know why they never point this out i'm sure this is just because military sources aren't going to give you a lot of information but i'm sorry in the 60s and 70s we were in vietnam Mm -hmm. so i'm presuming that the timing fits i don't know where he was actually stationed he would have been um, deployed forward to vietnam the war did run from 1965 to 1975 during this time, his wife had at least one affair and gave birth to a son followed fathered by another man. Despite this, he actually initially stayed with his wife upon returning from Vietnam. He, and I'm I'm assuming this, you know, we do say that we right. try to be factual, but I'm, I'm going to make this leap. Southeast Asia, 1965, 1975, we're going to say Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Um, you know, he he did try he treated his uh, this uh, boy as his, his own son. Um, they even had had a daughter together, but the marriage was strained, and they eventually called it quits. In the mid 70s, he was transferred to Eielson Air Force Base in Alaska. During this period, he began to show signs of emotional burnout and began visiting a psychotherapist. Now, I mean, I don't know what his exact job was. This is something actually my husband and I talked about a bit because he was um they talk later we, we've got more notes about him taking time on the flight line and being able to view his kills if he will oh, yeah. and i'm wondering if he was either on a flight line job like either transferring um fuel or he could have been working in the um the tower and being mm-hmm. able to view from there i don't know Just, right it's, it's a very it, the military wasn't going to tell us yeah um maybe if we really went and dug we'd be able to, like if you really 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 wanted to get into this but that's that's beyond our scope i'm not right. going to fairbanks to go ask the military for information. i mean
1: i would love to go in that <laughs> deep with some of these but um yeah we have day jobs yeah <laughs> if we didn't have day jobs maybe maybe yeah
0: i i would totally dig into this some more because there mm-hmm. i have a lot of questions um So the police were panicking because of of the numbers of murders in one location when that fifth woman vanished. Troopers teamed up with the military and civilian search teams to find the missing. And then one day while soldiers were out hunting, they found the body of uh, Lori King and she too was strangled and shot in the head. So unable to calculate the next move of the serial killer, the state troopers tried another tactic they staked out the killer's dumping grounds within a 10-mile radius of Ileson Air Force Base. Because all these locations that we um, have mentioned so far, if you pinned them to a map, you would find they all were around Ileson. Mm-hmm. Eilson is very large air force base. Not the largest, but at, what was that, 67,000 acres? It was quite a few. Yeah, that's, it was in the 60-something. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of um, land. I mean, we're going to talk about Shepard Air Force Base in a minute, and that's mm-hmm. 300 acres big difference yeah <laughs> ielson's yeah. huge but it's also a vast area so um geez i lost my train of, <laughs> train of thought <laughs> i hate it when i do that it's like ah so they they set up some uh they tried to look around for um the killing stopped like mm-hmm. oh, hmm in november of 1982 troopers received a call from henrietta texas informing them of a woman who had murdered in the Who had been murdered in the same fashion As their suspected serial killer Hey, yay, in 1982 We were actually sharing some information pretty well Mm -hmm. The police worked with the military To see if they couldn't narrow down the suspects Based on who owned a blue car And a white pickup truck Because actually, I almost interrupted you When you were talking about the blue car I'm like, guess what color a lot of military vehicles are Blue (laughs) Um (laughs) Yeah, that would have been... That's why they came back with so many cars, I'm sure, besides Mm -hmm. personally owned, but military. And finally, the police came up with a name when they took the two vehicles together, Thomas Richard Bundy. He was a tech sergeant in the Air Force who'd transferred to Shepherd Air Force Base near Wichita Falls, which is very close to Henrietta, Texas, shortly after the fifth victim in Alaska was killed. So the Alaskan investigators learned Bundy owned a blue car and a white truck and he was on the Air Force's radar because there were other complaints made against him he was he'd made inappropriate sexual sexual remarks to women in the workplace not that that was that uncommon in the 80s Um, actually they were pretty bad still in the 90s I'm hoping we get better (laughs) But, I mean, he'd done enough to get on their radar. They also learned that Bundy served in the military for 15 years, was married, father of two. On March 7th of 1983, Alaska investigators talked to Bundy for three hours about everything but the murders, and they did this for several days, hoping he would confess, but he refused to talk. Bundy didn't deny the crimes... But he refused to confess. After a week of interrogation, the troopers obtained a search warrant to search Bundy's property. They found a lot of incriminating evidence that was directly tied that directly tied him back to the crimes in Alaska. But had to obtain a, an arrest warrant from Alaska, which took some time. Back in the '80s, when he found out. That there were warrants in the works And he found out the evidence had indeed been found He changed his tune and began
1: to confess um, I found this kind of interesting as I was doing the research too In that he, he was like willingly going and talking to these police oh, yeah. officers Back and, and forth, like, they were visiting him Yeah, and I mean like he would show up He would just Daily. show up to talk to, to talk. them now
0: he refused to confess to the ch- the, the Texas yeah. uh, killing, and I actually had read something when they first showed up in Texas. The um was it the sheriff at the time was like, "Yep, nope, there's no there are no murders here," mm-hmm. and I think they had thought somebody else had killed her, but yeah. it was just so uncannily similar right. that we're pretty sure he had killed her as well. Right. Yeah, he would they would drive and visit him and he'd like go to their,
1: uh, he'd go to their hotel room room. and he'd, yeah, he'd every day, every day talk to them, start talking, just kind of odd. It's like, it's almost like he wanted to confess, but he didn't want to confess kind of thing. Because he started out with the,
0: no, I don't want to talk to you, don't want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they did a lie detector test, and it came back Mm inconclusive. There's a lot more. It's funny, the things that we decide we want to talk about more versus less. Right. Because we do want to focus on the victims, because everybody talks about the killer. Right. Um, But this guy, yeah, he was interesting. He just, uh, he went on, he would go on and on for days. He knew they were stuck with the, um, trying to get, The paperwork in a a line Mm -hmm. and really in present day he probably would have been arrested within hours right because we work a little faster i don't know (laughs) we can also mess things up today too so right but he would go into serious detail about his victims admitting to killing all the the girls in alaska vehemently denying killing cassandra godwin the woman in texas uh, the police opined that he didn't cop to the Texas murder because Texas has the death penalty. Um, he went into details saying as to why he killed them. Um, he cited his psychological breakdown, his sexual complexes, and he ha- and those were his reasons for going after these young girls. Due to the struggle to obtain an arrest warrant, he was released daily, um, even after convince- confessing that all, all that he had done, he was still let go every day. He still came back every day <laughs> to talk to them some more. They had no way of holding him since Alaska tra- state troopers were well out of their jurisdiction. Now, the governor of Texas tried to intervene. Uh, this one was was weird to try to figure out what they really meant here because uh-huh. it was so they had no power to arrest outside of Alaska. Um, if they wanted to hold him, they needed either for him to travel back to Alaska or to have evidence of the texas case or to have their paperwork from alaska all in a row to do the to -hmm. actually get him arrested so it was very weird so it's like they had to have their paperwork in a row so that the texas lawmen could arrest him on their behalf blah 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 blah. so they had no power to arrest him out of alaska Mm -hmm. so all flights headed from texas to alaska have a layover in seattle they actually had talked to bundy about traveling back with him. But if he decided not to go to Alaska, they would then be setting a serial killer loose on Seattle if he decided not to board the next plane. Yeah. And you're like, wait, and nobody's dead there on his <laughs> hands. So we don't want to take him out of Texas where he's killed somebody or Alaska where he's killed somebody. Right. So the, the governor actually offered a private Learjet to bring him back to Alaska so they wouldn't have to worry about the stayover in yeah. C- Seattle. Yeah. So, I mean, they really were trying, even though, I mean, I don't know what's going on with the paperwork. Yeah. Ugh, paperwork stinks. Yeah. Still stinks. Um,. <laughs> So on March 15th of 1983, they finally got their paperwork all straightened out, had the rest warrants they needed to arrest him in Texas. Unfortunately, that would be the day that he decided not to come visit them. Mm -hmm. He slipped past their surveillance on his motorcycle. And instead of meeting with the Elastica investigators again, he tore off on a a bit of a high speed chase Mm -hmm. and crossed the center line and slammed right into a dump truck at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah, he didn't survive that. I didn't, no, that's Not a big many no.
1: Could survive that? I think. Yeah, hundred so. miles an hour into a dump truck. Mm-hmm. No,
0: they they don't stop. No. <laughs> so the police were really hoping they would get more information from him before he died. They still hadn't obtained the knowledge of where Doris's body was, and they really wanted to get that to give the family closure. Mm-hmm. Um, in August 1986, three years after he died, her skull was found in a remote section of Eielson Air Force Base. Um, And this is where we get some vague reference to his job again it's like they mm-hmm. later learned that bundy's job in the air force most likely allowed him to view his dump site sites via surveillance cameras and relive his sadistic behavior so i'm sitting here thinking security flight mm-hmm. line
1: tower or something tower you're like what would you do maybe he was the guy who well then <laughs> oh, it then it talks about um he could something about the surveillance cameras and watching the investigators at the crime scene so So
0: did were they his own surveillance cameras that he put up were they surveillance cameras from his job that's where i'm like right uh, at first i was like oh so he was like security security and then i'm like well i
1: don't
0: know (laughs) so anyhow because there are a lot of Mm-hmm. Especially something as big as that, sixty-seven thousand acres. You're talking, and just about any job is right. going to be something you can do in Vietnam too. So, I wasn't able to put that one together.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, can you imagine him just watching them at the crime scenes?
1: Yeah, that's a little creepy. Yeah, I mean,
0: because several of them he didn't even try to hide. Right. But it was such a vast, and who's going to be doing who's any hunting find it? Yeah. on Isleyson Air Force Base other than other Military members, and I don't know. Again, this is the '80s versus now. Even when I was in in the late '90s, early aughts, I don't know what it would take. You'd have to be friends with security probably to be able to go hunting out there, right? So I don't know. Anyhow, so again, they they really thought that he denied the murder in Texas to avoid the death penalty, and then just decided he was going to kill himself instead. But um, they're definitely certain they, they would have been able to actually find him guilty of all five murders in Alaska. I mean, he confessed mm-hmm. with some very specific details. He fit not only they used profiling for one of the first times with uh, the Alaska state troopers at that point in time, because mm-hmm. profiling wasn't very common. And I mean, when you're trying to
1: do needle in a haystack for... Yeah.
0: How many blue cars? 455
1: or That's something like that? That's a lot of blue cars, yeah. But he was one of the few that had a white truck. The white truck. So, but
0: that wasn't until a later murder that they just, right.
1: they found the white truck. Um, And they do attribute him to being the murderer of Cassandra Goodwin as right. well. Um, but, you know, um, I mean, it was really the same manner. But, you know, they do think he... He denied that one just because of the death penalty. That... Yeah, he'd rather
0: take his
1: life in his own hands and right. be put on death row in Texas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So he killed himself on March fifteenth, nineteen eighty three. Yep. So good riddance. I th- yeah, I think. Cause... I mean, you kind of would want him to rot yeah but at least you know he's not killing any more people right that's and hopefully you know
0: if we aren't going to learn of any i mean don't know of any others right for and all we know there could have been some that just were i don't know there are a lot of missing people, people especially indigenous people
1: yeah and that's... that was an indigenous area yes so i mean we can hope that he did not kill more. um but yeah sorry we'll never we're know. just both sitting here we'll like know. looking at each other going god this guy stink yeah so that was uh that was our episode <laughs> yeah. so we're all kind of
0: bummed over here yeah. so just like yeah sorry. now we're done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um
1: but thank you as always for listening to nothing happens in a, in a small, small town, town where things do happen and small towns are not the quiet quaint places you think they are and please check out and if you would like to donate to our patreon page and by the way we have our first patreon um doris doris love you doris Doris. um and actually we have a doris episode coming up soon so keep thank you Doris. thank you doris we love you um we will uh keep your ears open for that special episode and um but our patreon page is www.patreon.com slash nothing happens in a small town our instagram username profile is nothing happens in a small town our twitter username is nothing happens in a small town at n-h-i-a-s-t uh, Facebook page Nothing, Nothing happens, happens in a Small Town or at NHIAST2021, and our Gmail is Nothing happens, happens in a Small Town at gmail.com. So our next episode is a special New Year's. Well, you know we ha-
0: we'll get you in the holiday spirit. Uh, kinda, kinda, <laughs> sorta. <of. laughs> daylight dollar shirt something what? yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> have we mentioned we're dorks uh, very
1: big dorks
0: <laughs> <laughs> well hey we didn't talk about the guy who killed his family in his santa claus suit yet yeah maybe that's
1: next year that could work for next year yeah, yeah. all right talk, uh, so uh, <laughs> listen listen to us uh, next episode yes yeah bye bye